Hello and welcome to the Garden Pod. This one is great, I think, for um, teachers who are interested in personalising learning and experimenting with some ideas around personalisation. We ask some pretty big questions here. Um, also good for anybody interested in education and, and, and educational debate and that kind of stuff. So we've got three guests. Um, it's James Abella, Izzy Richards and Chris Colmer. They've been embarking on a professional learning course looking at personalisation and experimenting in their own practice. Um, so in this chat we get to talk about what they've been trying, some of the theory behind it, how effective it's been um, and linking that to sort of bigger questions around personalisation in education and where it sits. Uh, a little bit longer than normal, I think, this one, but it's worth listening to. Um, these guys are, are great. They're really, really reflective, open-minded, and, and are constantly challenging their own practice. Um, so well worth a listen, and I will pass over to those guys. So personalization and learning. Okay, here we are, we're live. Um, right, today on the Garden Pod, we're introducing three people. So I'm going to go around the room and then introduce themselves very quickly. To my right. Uh, I'm James Bella. I lead the computer science in the school, and I've been running a professional development program on personalisation. Which is what today's podcast is all about. And next to James, we have... Uh, Izzy Richards. Uh, I'm head of GAP and EP. I teach history and English, and I've been attending this personalisation course. And last but not least... Yeah, I'm Chris Cormer. I'm uh, Primary Music, and I've also been attending the course. Great, thank you. Um, so it's great to have you guys with us. Uh, what we're talking about today is personalisation, something of a buzzword in education at the moment, or has been for a little while. So I thought it might be worth just exploring what personalisation means to you. James, you decided to run a course on it, so perhaps you can start us off. Yeah, I mean, I think, like I said, personalisation is a bit of a buzzword, uh, which is why when I ran the course, we actually divided up a little bit further. But really, my first encounter with personalisation was about 20 years ago, when I was using it for marketing. Okay. Um, sounds like there's a story there. Yeah. I mean, basically, I was working for this company in Cambridge called Arm, and we needed to contact all of our developers and things. And uh, we needed to make it as personal as possible. And so, yeah, I started emailing 2,000 of my nearest and dearest developers. Okay. And Chris, and as you've decided to join this course that James is running, so you must have an interest in it. So personalization for you, what, what would you say is why you're interested in it? Um, well, for me, I'm, I'm interested in, in this generally. I think um, in music, we have so much opportunity to personalize things based on instruments, based on styles of music um, and students always come with different backgrounds in music so I think for me I was really interested in the whole concept of personalization and how we can do that more in a music class but then the tech side of it was also really interesting to me, how can we use tech specifically for music to, to do that personalizing um, So for me on, uh, th there are some elements where there's a crossover with differentiation where um, I have a big interest in uh, helping to give my students more options for the way in which they learn things and also um, to increase the variety of levels of challenge within my lessons for students. But I think also for some of my younger classes where we're not so constrained by meeting the specification, I'm really interested in using personalisation as a way of allowing students to explore what matters to them as far as possible whilst mm. achieving the same overall objectives. So I've debated with people who've suggested that that's really quite hard to do. 
So if we just stick with the theory, and, I, and I'll, I'll... Now, my flag to the mast, I'm, I'm with you 100% on this. I'm very interested sure. in, in this process, when it's done properly and when it's done well. But what does that look like? So does it, do, are we talking here about any student studying anything that they want at any time in order to get to a, an overarching goal? Um, <laughs> Definitely not. Um, I think the, the key thing is having a really clear procedural structure in place for students and um, the key is I think that as they investigate something explore something they know what the aims of that is that the kind of things that they're choosing to explore are comparable with the big themes of the course and with the big uh, sort of skills objectives that you want them to develop um, obviously the way that the whole school inquiry is run here and also the humanities project that we have mm. is very much built on that principle um, recently I've been involved with a big team project of helping to devise uh, a way for students to look at um, different events that have shaped the course of the world and those can be more geographical physical events like earthquakes or they can be big historical events like revolutions mm. and although our students Students have a huge variety of choices there. They are all choosing events through the same criteria, they're all learning the same things about what is significance, they're analysing impacts, mm. and they're also learning the same presentational skills to produce a similar kind of outcome. So uh, having rigorous checkpoints in place for all those things mm. means that you can let them go off on these crazy tangents, but hopefully the same key course is being followed by everybody. Okay, great. Chris, does that look the same in music, or is it a bit different? Yeah, I think it is. I mean, yeah, because it would be interesting to just say to primary music students especially, just go off and go nuts, you know, explore mm. whatever you want and play whatever you want, however you want. That's great, and there is maybe a place for that. But, yeah, I think it's a similar thing. You've got to have some some structures in place, right? And then, yeah. and then checkpoints, I think that's a good word. Like, give them the freedom to explore and personalise how they want, but always come back to some really key maybe for me music concepts that I'm checking or theory concepts or something that's always framing where they're taking it and is this built around the principle that if a kid is more engaged in something they find something more interesting they're more likely to sort of follow through or investigate to a, to a deeper degree is that the kind of core thinking behind it rather than just a teacher led okay this is what we're studying today on Wednesday period 2 it was in my teaching, which before the course, it was very much in my teaching because I was really, really worried that students wouldn't engage with coding. And um, I've seen how some teachers react to badly taught maths lessons where they're doing it for the sake of it, they're not enjoying the context, mm. they're not understanding why it's important to their lives. And I was really worried about that with coding, which is why I personally got involved in personalization because I realized actually the context doesn't matter to me as a teacher, but it is so incredibly important to the, to the student. Mm. One thing I would add is that personalization and individualization are two different things. And we used to have an excellent swimming coach and he fully personalized the swimming for the students, mm. but they had no choice because it was based on their actual abilities. So personalization doesn't mean freedom of choice necessarily for students. Okay, so let's just um, dig a bit deeper on that. Personalization and individualization are two different things. Explain. Okay, so individualization is about the choice for the student. And um, the way I explained it is that, you know, if you give the student a choice of anything, then that's fine. But personalization could be, I'm making this bespoke test for you, please go do it. Okay, so it still could be very teacher-led. 
it could be very teacher-led, it could be very teacher-centric, and it could be the difference between what a student wants and what they need. Okay. But often the two are complementary. I suppose there's always that constant clash between those two things, isn't there? Because yes. you, um, you know, on the what, dividing well, what the student wants and what the student needs, that kind of assumes that we are the people who know what they need and that, are, that we need to sort of provide that for them. I think that maybe one thing that's important with all these different concepts is that letting students just go off and have a choice by itself is not enough, actually. You know, it's not enough for us to be good in our jobs. And that sometimes, of course, the, the, the wonder for students is that the, they take something that they're not naturally interested in, or they take a learning method that they don't naturally think is their method, but actually through practice and through, or through accessing that topic, they discover the interest in it. So I think there's a bit of a danger with personalisation and with all types of differentiated teaching, that you end up pigeonholing students based on interests or abilities or learning styles, which is obviously quite widely uh, frowned upon some, by some people in education now and you sort of direct them down these different set pathways depending on that which seems to me to be quite a, a rigid process and not, yeah. not necessarily a very fruitful one. I mean what I quite like and particularly again I'm going back to my own subject of coding is that some kids come in with quite a lot of coding experience already I'm sure it's the same music you know you mm. get a grade three kid right mm. walks in well personalization allows you to start them at that starting point mm. so they're not doing more work they're doing different work, they're doing interesting work because the personalisation procedure allows you to do that. Okay. So, can I, if I say, personalisation is going to be a good thing, but you have to have a clear idea about what, where it is that you're going and you have to have a clear idea about what you want to achieve with any given set of students before you embark on that journey. Yes. Um, I think sometimes when I've seen it done less well, and I include myself in people who've done it less well, would be we tend to drive things by activity or, you know, let's just let them choose. And we don't have that really concrete idea of, okay, we work, so we're both historians, right? So we want them to understand, you know, how to approach questionable sources and ask good questions of them in terms of reliability and usefulness. I have to be very clear on that before I set off on this personalisation journey. Um, you do for one type of personalization, and that's one of the things that we did on the course was I split it up into three different types um, because personalization is a buzzword and it's not very clearly defined even in the fairly academic research. Right. So uh, let's challenge ourselves now to define it. Okay, so, got three so I, I defined it to give um, three to yeah. actually bring it down, and I say this is just a way to make it more practical. I'm not saying it's the clearest definition, but I brought it into three sections. The first is teacher content creation. So creating content that allows a degree of personalization, freedom, and pace in terms of the walkthrough. Just like a video game, some students will get through it very quickly, some students will struggle, they will fall at the first level, they will need to get themselves up again, and so on and so forth. Okay, can I stop you there? Yeah. And then I'll bring two of your mentees in. Okay. Um, so what's, you've been on the course, mm -hmm. Does that make sense to you, and what might that look like, or are there any questions raised around? Yeah, um, absolutely. I think for me in the course, that was the part that I focused on probably the most because, um, in a few ways, I mean, one is that in the music department at the moment, we've already done a lot of that teacher content creation for personalization, and so it was really nice to reinforce that that's, that's something that, that seems to be working well. Um, and then also, using the, the technology side of it, which was also a part of the course, and looking at, you know, specifically for me, building websites that were 
that were targeting the idea of personalization. So building a website for the students that that is really bespoke to the needs of the class mm. and the, the students could interact with that website. For me, that was really nice because it was two elements of the course coming together and it really made sense for me that that yeah. definition, I guess, or that one part of the definition. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so likewise, building websites has been a big thing that I focused on. Um, interestingly, I was having a chat with one of my sixth formers the other day where I was saying to her, so I know that I have a tendency to lead lessons too much from the front, and, uh, and she was saying that she felt that she actually quite liked that and that sometimes when you're asked to be an independent learner, um, you can end up very lost and confused. Mm. So really I wanted to try and solve or move towards doing better on that issue. And I've created a Google site for my year 12s where basically there's sort of a summary of the content they need to learn and then there are different compulsory activities that they have to undertake, um, sort of completing an ed puzzle or a quiz as checkpoints as they work their way through it. But then also moments where there are options about how they receive the content so they can listen to me giving a, 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 a vague attempt at like bad humour giving a lecture or they can read the content or they can watch video mm-hmm. uh, the outcomes are the same there are times when they can decide that they want to take on a more challenging bit of reading or they can choose a reinforcement task mm-hmm. instead um, so and, and I think that that has been that has, I think, to an extent been successful in that students tried out different tasks and they had fun with it and um, I suppose what, what I noticed though is that Resource creation is all very well, but we need to also get our students into the habit of using those resources in the best way. Mm. Because obviously, mm. as soon as you are giving students the choice to work through something at their own pace, are they going to do what my year sevens did with the Google site I made <laughs> for them, which is rush through a load of the work so they could tick it off and get onto the fun challenge at the end, not actually monitor the quality of their work well enough? Um, are they going to choose tasks that you know, don't actually suit the pathway that they should be on, or go for a challenge they're not ready for. Mm-hmm. How, it's about how do we actually train students to make good choices, to actually justify the choices they're making. Mm-hmm. I think that's like a, a step where we... Well, that is the next step, and, and, and that's something that's built into my own teaching. Um, and if you follow that course up, uh, we talk about actually uh, gamification, and that would be the next level up from that. Um, but I'm not sure if the school's quite ready for that because that gets more complicated. Ooh, I mean, that sounds, uh, exci- it sounds like you have to tell us about it now. Challenge, Please. Uh, challenge accepted. How yeah. can we gamify? Okay. So before we gamify... <laughs> but can we go back to the two-part definition? Um, yeah, let's just conclude that then. So, uh, and tell me if I'm wrong, but the summary here would be uh, resources created by the teacher and is the sort of listening to you and thinking that's all about elasticity. So you're allowing pace and challenge to vary within your classroom. Mm-hmm. Um, depending on interest as well, it might be, you know, I mm-hmm. want to listen to the lecture video or I want to watch this video, it's about the same thing. But that comes with some challenges in as much as how we know that they're doing it properly. Um, where are our checkpoints? We mentioned mm-hmm. yeah. that before. And what kind of good checkpoints can we come yeah. And then there's this dream place yes. where... Which James is creating in our minds around gamification. Maybe we'll get to that yeah. later on. Certainly, if I can add that for those who fear that sort of uh, creating the perfect set of YouTube tutorials or websites will remove the need for teachers, I could certainly say that the students who I left to work on these Google sites whilst I was away for a few days on a trip made much more limited progress with that tool than when I was around mm. to coach individual kids and suggest what routes they yeah, might take or, or at least so, challenge them in those conversations yeah, yeah. around their choices. Okay, so why do it? Because those resources have just freed up that teacher to have those one-to-one conversations. Um, And also, um, 
personalization is that that's only one aspect of personalization. We haven't covered to the other two yet. Okay. I, th I think you're right to ask that question. W was it worth the amount of setup time yeah. that it involved? Um, I think definitely it changes your. I, th I think part of it is about convenience and that we all want to plan for a variety of interesting activities and that that can result in infinite different Google Docs being created, infinite worksheets or different tasks around the room. Which And it can be fun to have more of a kinesthetic element sometimes, but I think that can make individual lesson planning quite exhausting and it just also kills lots of trees. So I think there's, there's a convenience <laughs> element to it. But also very much that, um, I think partly it's about student ownership as well, that having, this, having a resource through which students can access these different pathways then kind of allows them to see that whole journey rather than you as a teacher at the front walking them through the journey. It's laid out there. If for the kind of kid who's a bit like me, who likes to always go to the end page of a novel first to find out how it ends, they, they can, kids can do that and see that big picture. And it and totally, like James said, it frees us up to be having those more coaching-style conversations with kids rather than constantly everything revolving around us every second of the lesson. And can I just throw in, because I can, you know, you can sense certain members of the education community rolling their eyes. Nobody's suggesting that this is what every lesson looks like. Absolutely not. And also, we're not saying you have to make the resources. There's a lot of resources out there already. I mean, um, we've talked a bit about this thing called Edpuzzle, but actually, any YouTube video can have questions asked, and there's a lot of ready-made materials there for you. So it doesn't mean you have to go and create a whole new world. And of course, the other thing with any of these resources is, once you've made it, it's yours to use again and again and again until you're happy. I guess like with anything, right? You're probably going to get it wrong a few times before you get yeah. it right. That's all. Yeah, absolutely. All right, let's go on to this. Okay, so second part. Second part is the opposite, is student content creation. And that is actually the students creating the content. And it, uh, the part of the course with, which was dealing with that is how do you handle that in terms of your own technical skills, your own technological skills. So in some ways, that's a bit more challenging for teachers. But if you know your way around a computer or you know your way around an iPad or if your students know your way around an iPad, then it creates great opportunities for them to be creating materials and giving back and sharing their interests. For example, we'll pick on history because that seems to be the thing. You might want to teach certain skills, but it doesn't actually matter to you whether the history is based in Asia, Europe, the Americas. So you can use that for them to create, say, a presentation. Um, or whatever it is you fancy, video, um, and with being a one-to-one -one school and iPads, uh, our imaginations really are our limits. Yeah. So student-created content, I'm on less firm ground here, mm. looking over to Chris, yeah. you to go at this? Yeah, I, I can think of one example where we've used that, and uh, it's been quite effective, especially for students that are kind of high flyers, They're, they've achieved something with a particular mm. piece of content, and they, they may have kind of... I'm going to go straight to the example. It's playing the recorder, everyone's favourite instrument. But um, in primary school, they go through yeah. a series of, of levels where they self-direct their learning and they, they pick up the recorder bit by bit. And when they get to a certain level, it's all based on karate belt, so they get their black belt. And once they get to the black belt, they, they have a certain amount of notes they can play. And what we did with that was, well, once they have the black belt, where do we go from there? Because we want them to continue developing. So we asked the students to record themselves playing all of their belt levels up until black belt 
and then share that with their friends so their friends can go and practice yeah. at home. So rather than us saying, oh, come and you know, listen to me, I'll play it for you, or go on YouTube and find it somewhere, they were actually creating these little videos for their peers, sharing it on the Google Classroom, um, and everyone could, well, the ones that weren't at black belt level could work on their belts following yeah. their peers. I mean, that's example. the other thing is that it's a great opportunity for teachers, for students to teach students mm. and that's really effective because those students have only just learned that skill yeah. so they know the pain and suffering or they know what difficulties or they know what's happened along the journey and they tend to actually make really good teachers because mm. a they're credible and, and b they've uh, they've just been on that journey so they, they know the, the problems and the kids love watching their friends as well yeah following that's their friends it, rather it? than some random person on on youtube for example it was quite a nice way of yeah, of doing that and yeah. giving the students an extension as well and so reinforcing the learning. Push the if I can just dig a little bit. Yeah. Do, you, do you think that pushed the black belt kids further in their learning, their understanding? Yeah, I think. Well, it's that whole thing of can can a learner then become the teacher, mm. and that's a great way of assessing learning in a way, isn't it? So I think it a that that was clear, yeah. and then b it gave them the. Well, it showed them the importance of using the correct technique, of recording themselves well. So they were picking up all these other little things mm. and reinforcing what they'd already learned and then having to create a presentation that was of high quality. So it may, meant that their performance was better and, and of a higher quality so that it could be presented. So I think definitely... Yeah. I mean, there's also been a lot of research into reflection. Yeah. And, and this is really where personalization can help with that. Because they can reflect in any way they like. If they make a video, uh, if they want to record their voice, if they want to type something, if they want to handwrite it, it's still their choice and it's still personalized. Um, and I notice it particularly with year one and two students. The abilities they have when they're talking far, far passes what they're struggling to do while they're still learning to write the letters. Mm -hmm. But, that you know, if you read it back to them, say an iPad, and you record the voice by dictation, you would think it was a much older child. Because as I say, those skills and that personalization enable you to practice on those different skills. Okay. Izzy, have you got any thoughts? Um, I, I have a, one similar example, I guess, which was as part of the year 10 gap course this year. We got students to finish by making videos about source analysis with the aim of those videos being integrated into a year seven English scheme of learning um, to sort of promote digital citizenship. And a uh, big shout out to Kinga and Pia whose video was brilliant, but it, that was quite interesting because um, it, it, it was a really good AFL tool actually, that what the students put in these videos sometimes of course revealed misunderstandings they still had conceptually. Yeah. So I think... Um, Getting stu students to create that content, in my experience, has maybe been more beneficial in the process that the creators are going through than necessarily it actually being something that, they, that I would necessarily always want to use mm. uh, as a teaching tool. Um, when it comes to the, the video reflection, or sort of using video or voice recording for reflection, that's something that really interests me. I know that you have been uh, teaching GAP and EP, and, and I'm sort of directing the course at the moment. And I think a difficulty that we sometimes have, is, again, is it's this one teacher, you've got 12 kids or 15 kids doing these different personal projects. We're constantly trying to have those one-to-ones with them, but there's only one of us. And I'm really interested in sort of taking something like Flipgrid, for instance, yeah. right, where you can actually get students to yeah, they can record their video <laughs> responses, yeah. they, can, they can record video responses to each other, getting them to... But, but, but I think, again, like everything, it, it still comes back to 
what have we ultimately ta taught our students about how to do those things? Mm. We all know that student feedback can be absolutely useless mm. and a complete waste of everyone's time, as can reflection that's not structured and guided in a rigorous way. Mm. Um, or just plonked on at the end and then nothing's yeah. ever done. Yeah, that's the classic. Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's so easy to fall into those traps. So it's always about, like, this technology is great, but you've got to harness it in the right way with the yeah. right rigour behind it. So I think the first one, the teacher-created content one, sounds to me easier to do not easy to necessarily to get right perfectly yeah the second one that's pretty tough to do really well isn't it and i think as you've made a point that i've certainly stumbled upon quite often the gold in the student created content whenever i've tried to do it has been actually afl mm -hmm. it's shown up the misunderstandings which i can use then to maybe do some teacher stuff to, to address yeah so it hasn't really achieved what i wanted it to achieve but it has achieved something else which made me think, okay, well, you can use this as sort of a covert test. All right, all right, guys, we're going, to be, we're going to set this up for the year sevens, but I'm actually, what I'm thinking is I want to know whether you've got it or not. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't quite meet what we were talking about before, and that's kind of stupid kind of where you're thinking, oh, that's brilliant. That's yeah. Uh, like, like Chris's recorder player, yeah. it's, it's not quite doing this, it's not quite achieving yeah. the same thing, is it? Yeah. I mean, one of, um, out of the inquiry projects, one of our students presented to Apple, mm -hmm. and it, it does tend to be those better, most able kids that there's an extreme form of differentiation for. Mm. Um, but student content creation doesn't have to be that complicated. It can be just as simple as an essay, mm. you know, maybe with different titles. It doesn't have to be an all singing, all dancing video. Just writing uh, with a pen and paper, that's still student content creation. And that could still be easily personalized. Okay. So uh, sometimes we get overexcited and overdramatic, whereas actually, yeah, good old fashioned pen and paper is probably all you need. Okay, so we've got teacher does it. Yeah. Students create their own content. Yeah. Do you have to think what number three is? Number three? Well, the third thing is the glue that brings it all together, which is assessment. Ah, okay. um, and, and that's the thing that stops all of these projects going off the wheels completely. Um, but also, you can personalise assessment, right? For example, again, if you know this child is an expert with a recorder, well, there's no point telling them. Press the one button and try and blow in properly. Mm. You, you can uh, personalise that assessment according to what they're doing. And it is very noticeable in computer science uh, in year 11, 12 and 13 that I can give certain students assessments and I'm like, I know they just cruise my way through. Why waste my time? Give them something that's challenging and interesting. Um, and I'm sure it's the same in all subjects that you get students who are highly able. But also there are students who you know if you look at that test, you think they actually can't even access that. Mm. Why don't, we, why don't we actually get that down to the level? And, um, you know, the tools we've got now... I mean, seriously, Google have made multi-million pound tools available to us. Apple have made the amazing iPad. And so we have huge amounts of potential to make sure that every assessment can be formative and can be accessible. Mm. What about... All right. So personalising assessment, I think, takes us to another level. What about this idea that we have to put assessment in there to check whether our personalisation programme is actually working? Yeah, that's true too. <laughs> <laughs> I know that might sound obvious, but we can say we're going to send this kid off on this pathway and this kid off on this pathway and we're going to do all these wonderful things. But then you know, how important is it that we actually say, right, well, now we're going to come back together and I'm going to check whether we have reached those goals that I set for this class or not. Because if not, then you're going to have to change. Yeah, yeah. I, think, I think it's absolutely essential, isn't it? 
Isn't that teaching in general? It's, 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 it's essential for any kind of teaching, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, as, as somebody whose whole inclination is actually, like, it probably against personalisation and much more, like, if my, my dream teaching in some ways would probably be the lecture and the questions and the debating. Um, uh, but actually, in the same way, you might have all the kids doing the same thing, listening to the same person talking, but you, you still need the assessment mm. to check that, that mm. they've got something out of that. So that, yeah. that principle, I don't think that's, like, a reason to see personalisation as like more problematic than any other aspect of teaching. Because um, I think that's the biggest attack that you get on this kind of teaching. Is, and, I, and I understand it, I understand where it comes from, because often that gets forgotten. You know, we're, we're doing project yeah. work, we're doing this. And yeah. I, I don't know so much at our school, but I bet it still does happen. Oh yeah, I'm sure there's projects where people did this beautiful project, but actually they didn't do much or they didn't yeah. went... Somewhere. If we're going to spend the time creating the, the million resources to go through, then we have to spend the time thinking about how will we know where we yeah. have to do it. So, mm. um, yeah. I think those things are important. And I think always beginning with the end in mind yeah. um, is important. I mean, I think as secondary teachers, it's always drilled through us because we know there's a GCSE and A level at the point. So we, we are very much driven to make sure that our, we're heading in that direction because we know they've got exams and that's what gets them into university. It's a whole other podcast. Um, yeah. So, Izzy, and just coming back on your point as well, which I'm labouring this a little bit, but I think it's important. All right. Your dream teaching. Uh, <laughs> no, that's no, I just want, before you interrupt. Because <laughs> I think, <laughs> Don't tell me what my dream I, is. I think, that's, I think the idea of a teacher being a lecturer and a storyteller and an instructor and using, uh, you know, uh, verbal methods to, to get across a point or to teach is absolutely valid, isn't it? Yeah. There's still a place, there's still a place for that, there's still a skill a teacher has, mm. but it's just one part of the toolkit, yeah. as is your Google site with yeah. all your different stuff on. Sorry, now. You no, missed. no, I, 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 <laughs> no, absolutely. Um, and um, I think looking at, at ways in which, like, th th that said, I think something, a real lesson that I've learned about personalisation this year is how... Um, easy it is with some elements of flipped learning and student choice to empower students to find, uh, to, to, to sort of to construct those stories for themselves and how meaningful that can be. Um, I, I suppose a normal structure of learning that perhaps I was used to in the past was that I would be sharing the story with students and then they would go off and they would do analytical things around that story. But even a really simple thing recently with my year nines in history where I've been introducing the basics and then giving them different levels of difficulty and blend space or just through QR codes of resources that they can look at, giving them that take-up time to explore those resources to the depth they're capable of mm. before we move on to the analysis, mm. I think is really meaningful. Yeah. Rather than sort of dashing up to the top of the Bloom's pyramid at all times, that actually personalisation can be really great just at the level of students getting the detail that, that suited to their level of English and to their level of conception understanding as well. And they might want to spend more time then as well, which is mm. interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I guess it's, it's what, do we, what are we wanting to have our learners do? Like at the end of the day, do we want them to be exploring things and do we want them, like that's how I learn most of the mm. time now, um, to create content and things. How am I doing that? Am I accessing millions of different resources, looking at different styles, mm. looking, listening to things, reading things, watching things? Like that's the reality, isn't it? That's where we're heading, and that's where, that's where, yeah. hopefully, we should be getting our students to be heading. Well, even if you look at simple stuff like watching a YouTube video, right? It's a different voice. It's different people yeah. talking. 
it adds to the richness of your lessons, doesn't it? Mm. Yeah. But I guess like it's just coming back to that again, like as with everything else, that core of rigor needed. Yes. That there, there are times actually when, when I wanted to be able to put together um, a sort of a starting point for students to research a topic themselves, and I thought actually there's a real poverty that have high quality resources on this at the level that I want my students to access and, and ultimately we are resources for the students yes. as well. Yeah. So. Yeah. I like what you said earlier about the, you know, I'm my, I'm not quoting you, but something along the lines of I, I, I like getting to a baseline, I might use some teaching instruction and then we're, all right, now, yeah. we're, now, we're, now let's go, now let's see where you can take this further. And as long as you've got your test points, your checkpoints to check whether they actually are or not. How, how cool is that? Yeah, that is. Um, James, dare I ask you about gamification? You can ask, but I, I deliberately stopped the course before gamification because that is pretty complicated. But the point of gamification is to get students to do the things that they don't particularly enjoy. Let me give you a simple example. Um, there was another subject, and you know, you know how we all have glossaries, or we don't have glossaries provided, okay, in subjects. Um, and in computer science... There's a lot of terms, and um, I had no glossary whatsoever. So what I did was very simple. I gave points for every term that the students could get from the textbook, get from wherever they could find. And I had a glossary done, and uh, my students turned around to me and said, so, oh, look, we've got 300 terms here. And I said, oh, that's great, isn't it? Okay, so that's awesome. Yeah. Is it personalised? Um, that's where gamification and personalization can be different. Gamification um, and personalization can be complementary. They can also be contradictory because gamification is often about getting students to do things they would like to do. Mm. I mean, a good example for me, I would like to do, but I will be quite lazy, is going to the gym. Mm. So you've got all these apps to try and gamify that, haven't you? Oh, you know, you do so many steps, you get a point and that kind of thing. So really, gamification should only be used for things you know the students are not quite so keen to do. Okay. Any other thoughts? Are we into uncharted horses? I think I face a bit of a barrier in terms of technology here. And that when it comes to helping students to learn terms or yes. certain concepts, um, I would love to be able to create more something other than just Google form quizzes, like some more interactive sort of yeah. type things. And obviously there are some, some resources like Quizlet and so on that are yes. really, really good for that. Yeah. Um, it would be really awesome. I've, I've, I've tried to experiment in the past with making quizzes that are, that sort of adjust to the to students write all wrong answers. So if yes. a student struggles yeah. with something, then you throw out another question on that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but obviously for somebody who doesn't do much in the way of coding, that's Yeah, I mean, Google Forms can support that a little bit, but not yeah. to the left. You're right. It becomes at that point, yeah. quickly, at that point, you're looking at proper coding. Yeah. Um, and as I say, in maths, there are some great resources to help with that, ready-made. Um, but yeah, as I say, in other subjects, it's quite challenging. And also, as I say, with history, gamification could have a negative effect, for example, because a lot of students are interested in the stories, they don't want just to earn 15 points for doing analysis. Mm -hmm. So you've got to be very careful gamification, whereas personalization, most teachers can see it within the realms of differentiation. They can see it, they can see benefits, and there's relatively little downside. Gamification can be a little bit dangerous. Okay, so that sounds like lots more to explore and think about there. One of the things that comes to my mind with game, not necessarily gamification, but when games are really interesting, or computer games. So we know from kids playing computer games and adults too, yes. that 
a lot of computer games give kids lots of feedback immediately. Yes. They're playing yes. the game, they're getting that they're yeah. dying, they're not dying, they're collecting yeah, the children. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're getting the feedback immediately and they're acting upon that feedback yeah. in order to get to the end of the level. And that's quite strict. Yes, it's quite it rigid, is. It's quite it linear. Mm. And I think some learning for some kids in a classroom can look like not necessarily as a game, but just how we set it up can look like that. But then on the flip side, you've got other kids who love playing games like Minecraft. Yes. In a well, creative mode. Yes. Where literally they're just drops in the world and it's. I mean, actually, that Minecraft is a perfect example of gamification, good and bad, right? Creative mode is that mode where you don't actually have gamification. In fact, it's arguable whether it's a game in creative well, mode. I guess my, that's, that's the analogy that I'm trying to make yeah. really, is that both of these things are games, they're both ways of looking at yes. things, they're both doing things, but they're very different from each other. Yeah. But you can learn doing both. Yeah, absolutely. There's also, I suppose, that our goal as teachers is not just to teach kids some stuff. Our goal is to equip students with certain skills and also with a love of learning. And I, I suppose I worry a little bit that, although I'm totally not averse to, like, playing a fun game with blockbusters or whatever or a sort of lockbox challenge in one of my yeah. classes, I don't want history... And, and actually the whole process of like conceptually unravelling things and debating and exploring ideas mm. to be reduced to a game. Like if we all made decisions in our lives based on instant feedback, yes. like you do when playing yeah, you know, yeah. Candy Crush Saga or whatever it is people were addicted to 10 years ago on yeah, that yeah. day, um, then we'd make really bad decisions. And we don't, yeah. want our, we don't want learning to be just about that. So yeah. I suppose a, part, a cynical part of me thinks, is there too much pandering there to the easiest way to maintain a kid's attention when actually teaching students or getting them used to sustaining their attention on complex things, complex yeah. ideas is really key. I mean, you're unearthing another concept actually there, which is part of gamification, but tries to deal with that, and it's called onboarding. Mm. So in the beginning, you give lots of feedback, you're quite strict, but then you widen things out so they can genuinely explore. Um, and, you know, it, it is very interesting. And I say gamification as a concept is, is, is a, an amazing piece of study, um, but I don't think it's quite ready to deploy in your classroom on Monday without having that deeper understanding of psychology and motivation. Yeah, uh, but if we step back away from gamification and back to personalisation, you know, the, the, the discussion of the games there sums it up. Doesn't it? Yeah. There's, there's lots of different ways of approaching things. Yeah. Um, different kids learn in different ways at different times, and they'll find some things interesting and some approaches less interesting. And what we're trying to do as teachers is, is find as many hits as we can along yeah. the way. And personalization and, and the ways that you guys are talking about that is, is you know, a good thing to, to try. And we yes. don't get it right all the time. No. But if you only stick to but one But also, thing, you know, um, differentiation and personalization are not so far apart, you know. Personalization is just that extreme of, of doing everything. But, you know, just starting with some scaffolding, that's differentiation. It's a start towards personalization, whatever steps you take. All right, so let's wrap it up. Chris, where are you going to take this now? Hmm, I think, based on the discussion, it's quite interesting. I, I think it's, it's something that's just popped into my mind is that it's, it needs time, I think, when you're developing this stuff yes. and when you're thinking about it. And so I think it's worth... If you're starting something, or for myself, I'm starting to look at personalization, that I need to give it a few goes. And that's something I really want to take away from this course, this discussion as well, that it's it's a time thing and it's good to try things and keep refining it and testing yes. it. And, uh, and, yeah, and developing it like you would any teaching content or any anything you're doing, really. But 
that sort of evaluation of whether it is personalising and whether it's effective or whether it's not and all those these questions we've been asking should be constantly asked as we're getting into this stuff. I think that's a key thing for me. Is it? I totally get on board with that. There's some need to constantly evaluate and question it. I think in terms of just practical things, uh, I've got lots of ambitions in terms of creating uh, more flipped resources for various new groups in history, particularly, and uh, and that that video reflection really is the things I most want to take forward. Yeah, fantastic. James, for me, I want to make it as accessible as possible right now and try and get all that theory into digestible forms. I think I've made a good start in terms of splitting up personalization into bits. But for me, um, my number one takeaway that I want to share with everybody is that flipped learning and personalization can be a method of ensuring you get through your curriculum in time, particularly in key stage four and five. Um, so it can help alleviate time pressures. And that's one thing I've noticed across people in the course have been saying. Those people who've really engaged have said, yeah, actually, it's, it enables me to plan, but it's also enabled me to create time in my curriculum. I think for those teachers who, um, again, have such an artificial divide and really stereotypical, but the teachers who the sort of old school students should be reading and note-taking and then listening mm. and, then, and then writing essays and discussing, that actually these kinds of tools are actually brilliant for that. Because yeah. whereas in the past you, I'd say, you know, go and read these pages of a textbook, sometimes still do say, uh, as your homework, it's actually go and access that information in one of all these different ways and then students come into lesson more buzzing with ideas, more prepared hopefully to engage in those great debates that you want them to have in class. We, uh, we did a bit of work on flip learning a while ago and when it worked, it was when there was the accountability on the students that they were expected yes. to come into that lesson having done it. And all of them were there and they had, and that was really strictly kind of enforced, and then it was great. When it was kind of piecemeal, yeah. and, and some kids did and some kids didn't, and then it was rubbish. Uh, anyway, I said we were going to wrap up, so let's wrap up. Fair enough. Hey, yeah. thank, you thank you so you very much, much for um, yeah. the discussion. Really interesting. Uh, we could talk about it for another hour, I'm sure. Uh, James, thanks for running the course. Thank you very much. And, um, if and you thank you to all people so who joined in. Oh, if, you, you. if you're interested in personalisation, um, then you can talk to James Abella, Izzy Richards or Chris Comer. Um, they're our guests today. And they can be reached, email, Twitter, all the usual yeah. places. I'm sure they'd be very happy to talk to you. So thanks for listening. Thanks guys for coming. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.